Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Welcome to, and you didn't know it was happening today, but it is, welcome to Communion Sunday, Communion Service today. We're going to take time and we're going to follow and look at what Jesus did with his sacrifice that he made for us. And then we're going to today make some commitments to sacrifice ourselves. There's something powerful about a sacrifice. Maybe you've heard the phrase, well, they're not all bought in because they don't have any skin in the game. You have a different intention of winning if you've had to punch yourself out to prepare for winning. Amen? So I pray today that God helps us and leads us to understand the beauty and the reward of sacrifice. If we'll give our best, God always responds when we make a sacrifice to him. As we close service today, we're going to commemorate Christ and his sacrifice through communion. But also today, I'm going to ask us as a church to enter into a week of sacrifice. And we'll talk about that more. January, we do three weeks of sacrifice, 21 days of sacrifice. But this time, we're just going to do one week. I think it's something I was challenged with by the Lord as personal and for our church is that we would be more regular or have more opportunities where we would make times of fasting and prayer and sacrifice a part of who we are and what we are. And so we're going to, to have a week of, of sacrifice this week. But let's begin this morning with the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34 through 37. <clears throat> Today may be more of a, a teaching lesson, probably Less pre-pre-pre-preaching, more te-te-te-te-teaching. Amen. Mark 8, 34 through 37. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to get over yourself. <laughs> you got to get over yourself. Deny yourself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man gain in exchange for his soul? Thank you for standing today. You can be seated. The context of these closing verses in this passage lead us to understand there is an extreme value on the soul. God asked a pretty direct question to us. If you were to gain the entire world, if you were to have all of earth's riches, You were to have all of the fame that could be given to a person. 
if your name was to be highlighted across the billboards and the newspapers and the websites, if your name was common amongst the voice of all people, if you were a worldwide superstar, if money was no object for you, if wealth was beyond measure, and you lost your soul, what did you gain? In the context of the question, we learn that the soul is greater than anything or the accumulation of anything in this earth. The soul's worth more than fame, fortune. The soul is worth more than anything that you could gather in this world. And so we must ask ourselves, what am I doing for my soul? Many people have taken different stabs, shots, attempts to define the soul. What is the soul? When you're sick, you... Eat chicken noodle soup, and I guess it's supposed to soothe the soul. The Bible says that the Spirit of God has the ability to carve in and and decipher the difference between spirit and soul. Like the difference between bone and marrow. There's not like a a line, there's not a true delineation, there's not a, a true edge to bone and a beginning of marrow. They blend together and at what point does the percentage of bone into the percentage of marrow transition from bone to marrow? And it's the same thing within the, the human, our makeup, we're body, soul, and spirit. And at what point does soul turn into spirit and spirit turn into soul Well, really, God only knows. But your soul is that eternal part of you that never dies. If you were to evacuate this mortal fleshly body and place it in a tomb, the scripture teaches us that the soul sleeps until its day of resurrection. It doesn't die. Your soul never dies. It's eternal. It's that part of you that came into existence the moment God breathed into the created and placed inside the created an eternal part to us, our soul. And that's why it's more valuable because your flesh and your bones and your wealth and all that you can accumulate in this earth will turn to dust in the end, but your soul will remain forever. So I have good news today. You made the right choice by being in church this morning because you made the choice that focuses on your soul. Soul food today. You made the choice to do something for your soul's sake. You're in God's house today. You chose the eternal over the temporal. You chose what will last forever over what will fade away in the end. Now in this context, 
Christ is telling us and he is teaching us, for the sake of our soul, we will be required to take up our cross and follow him. There are things that we will sacrifice so that the soul is prospered and the flesh is denied. We probably wouldn't like it very much when you get in an intense conversation with an individual and their response to you in the middle of the argument is, okay, just get over yourself. That's probably not a peace treaty. Get over myself. I'll tell you what I'm going to get over. It ain't over till I get done saying it's over. So don't bring up over. But the Bible teaches us that we must deny ourselves. This is sacrifice. Oftentimes we'll make sacrifice for others. We'll put ourselves out of comfort's way to prosper somebody else. But let me ask you a question today. Have you ever made a sacrifice to prosper your soul? We have to be careful because many times we will make choices in life that comfort our flesh. And in comforting our flesh, we are denying our soul. And Christ teaches us that we ought not to deny the soul. We ought to deny our flesh. We ought to deny our self. Take up our cross and follow him. In that statement, Christ gives to us a paramount responsibility on those who follow him. Disciples, followers of Christ, carry their cross and deny themselves. If we live simply for the pleasures of this life and simply for the pleasures of our flesh and our human carnality, we cannot say that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ because being a disciple involves self-denial. It involves sometimes looking in the mirror and saying, hey, mister, hey, missus, you need to get over yourself today. It's one thing for a rabbi or a great prophet to teach us. But it goes to a whole nother level when that teacher demonstrates the lesson. If you're a visual learner, you like object lessons. You like to see the lesson applied in a visual manner. Well, Jesus went beyond just doing an object lesson with trinkets. He placed himself as the object and taught us the lesson of self-denying. He's in the upper room. Him and his disciples have gathered for the last supper. They're sitting around and Jesus begins to do not what the normal day leader and master would do because they lived in a very hierarchical system. Roman government was, when this voice says to do it, every voice below says, yes, sir. 
And if a middle voice says to do it, the voices above either nod in agreement or say no. But if the middle voice says it, every voice below says yes, sir. Christ in the upper room decided he would not demonstrate to them the royalty and the authority of man-made government, but he would demonstrate to them the beauty of leadership. And what did he do? He took the towel and began to wash their feet. As they sat at supper, he paused dinner and he said, let me serve you and in serving you, let me explain to you what's happening. This takes us to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I want to read to you this moment in time where Christ was serving his disciples. Mark 26, 26 through 28 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Let's read in Mark 14. We'll, start, we'll read 16, then we'll jump to 22. And his disciples went forth and came to the city and found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover, 22. And as they did eat... Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks and gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. And then Luke recorded the same, situ- the same scenario, setting, in Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. And he took bread and gave it, gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Christ taught a lesson to his disciples many days before. You're going to have to deny yourself. And then he says, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to make it applicable to you. I'm going to give you an object lesson. And he says, this bread represents my body. And the sacrifice of my body is that it will be broken and it will be opened up. It will, my flesh will be broken for you. And, and this is my blood which will be shed for you for the remission of your sins. He's now giving them the object lesson of sacrifice. They've not yet fully comprehended what's going to happen. He's not revealed to them the full extent of what the object lesson means. But we today sitting here looking back, we understand that this was him foretelling at dinner the events of the next few days of his life. Jesus taught. Jesus was preparing his disciples for his death. Jesus was preparing them and giving them an example and an understanding that there will be required in all of us where we deny self, carry a cross, and follow Him. 
Jesus leaves the upper room with his disciples. They go to the garden and they enter into a time of prayer. Jesus leaves the disciples. He says, I'm going to go just a little bit further, guys. And this is where we have Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he begins to pray and he says those, those words that ring through all of eternity. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Now, it's not just a teaching of, hey, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself. It's not just an object lesson at dinner of bread and wine that's being broken and shared and, and told of, of a coming moment in time. But now Christ has entered into the moments where he's become the object of the lesson. He's become the application of the principle. And it first began with his will. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Can I tell you, the first step in sacrifice is to relinquish your will. The first way to find deliverance in Christ is to say that it doesn't have to be my way. It can be God's way. Can I tell you the hardest life to live as a Christian is trying to convince God that your way is the best way. Lord, now you know. You know if we just did it like this, it'd all work out. Lord, I'm going to talk to you today. I'm going to tell you about my problems. And I'm going to pray about it, Lord. I'm going to tell you the solution, God, also. And as I'm telling you the solution, I'm going to tell you how to provide the solution. And I'm going to tell you why it all works out. I'm going to tell you how it's all great and how it's all perfect and how everything's just smoothed over, Lord, if you'll just do it like this. And sometimes God says, okay, we'll do it your way. Any testify, anybody testify here that after you've finished your plan and your process, you end up back at the same altar for the same reason, for the same cause, but your prayer is different. I've been there. All right, Lord. <clears throat> if it wasn't for grace and mercy, I wouldn't have the opportunity to pray this prayer again. But here I come again, Lord, and not my will this time, but your will be done. Not the way I've planned it to be, not the way I expect it to be, not my solution, Lord. All I have today is a problem, and I don't have anything else, God. I just present to you problem. Now I need you to lead me and guide me and direct me and show me and prepare for me. I need you to give favor. I need you to move hearts on men and women. I need you to make the pathway for me. And wherever you lead, I'll follow. Whatever you say, I'll do. Deny self. Not my will, but your will be done. Let's not oversimplify this principle, this concept, this, this application of sacrifice because 
we chuckle because we, we've been through the pain, right? When, when you fall down and bust your knee or, or you make a, a total flop in front of people and then you get up and you're a little bit embarrassed, a little bit humiliated, a little bit hurting, and it's not real funny, but you always say, well, we'll laugh about this later. And we've been through stuff in our lives, and, and when we were going through it, it sure wasn't funny, but when we talk about how we didn't make the right choice, then we laugh about it today. But there is a, a solemnness to our sacrifices. Matter of fact, it was so intense in Christ's prayer in the garden that the Bible teaches us that his sweat became as great drops of blood. He understood the purpose of sacrifice. He understood the intention of his sacrifice. He understood the action of his sacrifice. He understood the result of saying, not my will, which very possibly could have been, let's just go back and finish dinner. But your will be done, which involved just a few moments later, a disciple for, who for 30 pieces of silver came up and kissed him to identify him to the Roman soldiers. The first cut at the heart of Christ, a follower betraying his Lord. Then he's arrested, marched through the night, Taken to this governor and taken to that authority figure. And this one says, I don't want nothing to do with him. He's not my responsibility. And that one says, I don't want anything to do with him. He's not my responsibility. And they toss him back and forth throughout the night. And finally, the religious leaders well up. And one says, how about we just beat him and let him go? Which seems to be the Roman way. And the crowd says, no, 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 no. We're not going to beat him and let him go. There's been money passed around in the crowd. The mob's been churned up. The voices have been speaking. We've been bribed to this point. Crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. I can't kill him. He's not done anything wrong. Again, the multitudes that followed him on the hillside have now turned they're not a multitude of, of lambs looking to be fed anymore. Now they're a mob of wolves looking for his life. We'll take the vile criminal and kill the innocent Christ. And so Jesus, having gone through the betrayal of a disciple, the betrayal of two disciples, Peter denied him three times. Now the betrayal of the multitude, the exchange for the criminal, his emotions have wrecked, his heart's been torn, his spirit's been beat, and they've just begun the torture, for now it moves from the emotional to the physical. He is now going to endure sacrifice like Mankind ought not to have to endure. And so he is whipped with a cat of nine tails. His flesh is tore open. His beard is ripped out of his face. 
A crown of thorn is placed on his head and shoved all the way down to his brow. He is mocked. He is ridiculed. He is belittled. He's given a cross to carry and his body is so beaten and battered that he's so weak that he can't even make it to Golgotha's hill and he falls under the weight of his cross and another has to carry it the rest of the way. And at Golgotha's hill, it's not over yet. Mocking, a sign is placed over the... Well, mocking to some and revelation to others would probably be the more appropriate way to say it. A sign is placed on his cross, the king of the Jews. Oh, if they only knew. The king of the Jews, if they only knew that he was paying the price, the only price that could ever be paid to secure the royalty of eternity. He was a lion. Excuse me, he was a lamb being converted into a lion. He was taking on death so that he could provide life. He was becoming the greatest example of sacrifice to us that has ever been demonstrated. If you read the customs of crucifixions, humiliation is a part of the process. His robe is removed. He's left naked. He watches as they gamble for his garment. How humiliating. Historians tell us that crucifixion didn't happen on top of the hill. Crucifixion happened at the bottom of the hill. Right along the edge of the road. That way every passerby or could look at you in disdain, could look at you and you could hear them mock you. If they so chose, they could spit on you. They could rile against you because only the worst people would be crucified. You have to be one of the lowest of low people if you're hanging on a cross next to this road when I walk by. So I'll just take my duty and cut at you and jeer at you and reduce you down. Nails are driven into his hands, to his feet. His cross is dropped in the ground and he's left to hang the torturous death of a broken fleshly body as fluid accumulates and accumulates and accumulates in his lungs, slowly but surely suffocating from the wounds of his torment. When Christ says to us that we ought to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him, he's not speaking to us as a philosopher in a classroom. He's not speaking to us as a poet writing some stanza of artistic writing. He speaks to us as a God who said, I'll leave the beauty of heaven I'll walk the dusty road that you've walked. I'll endure all the pain and hurt and suffering that you've ever endured so that I can say I know what sacrifice is. And when I call you to sacrifice, it's not in vain. It's not without purpose. It's not without meaning. And I don't say it out of context. I fully understand everything that I ask of you.
So when Christ says to us, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Who am I to argue that the sacrifice is too great? What case can I present to a God that made that great of a sacrifice that my sacrifice is too much? To what extent can I stand before God and say, you required too much of me? I can't. I can't. I cannot find any reason. I cannot find any purpose. I cannot find any justification in my life to say that I must relinquish a comfort of my flesh to help my soul grow. That sacrifice is never too great. It may be great. That's the nature of sacrifice. But it's never too great. Jesus said to his disciples, when you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. seems kind of odd that you would ask someone to do something in remembrance of you that they've not yet seen come to pass. But Christ spoke of things as they were that had not yet happened. And so when that day came, the crucifixions occurred, Christ had been buried, resurrections happened. Somewhere in time, the coming days and weeks, Disciples are gathered together, sitting around a table. There's some bread and there's some wine. I wonder who's the first one that picked up the loaf. I wonder how intense the room was when he began to break it. And he began to pass it. Hey, Peter. This is in remembrance of Christ. Hey, Luke, this is in remembrance of Christ. Hey, John, this is in remembrance of Christ. Here, Mark. Well, follow me. We have, you're not going to have a whole lot written about you, but you're part of, the, part of the 12. You get to enjoy the sacrifice, too. Down the whole line, they go and Someone picks up the cup and they begin to pass it back down the other way, down the table. Remember, this was his blood he shed for us. This became a representation of Passover lamb. Christ become the ultimate sacrifice for us. He became our lamb. He became the flesh of sacrifice and the, the blood of atonement and redemption for us. I pray today, God, let us just have a moment where we tap into the beauty, the sincerity, and the realness of the sacrifice you made for us. This is why we say when we take the bread and we drink the cup, we do it in remembrance of Him. And this is why we hold it in high regard. This is why we hold it in high reverence. 
This is why Paul forcefully and very directly rebuked the church of Corinth. For dis for uh, dishonoring, I guess is the best word. Dishonoring communion. The Bible says they were gathering together at times of communion, and they were eating until they were gluttonous. They were drinking until they were drunk. And they're saying they were doing it in remembrance of him. And in no way were they sacrificing. In no way were they denying flesh. They were saying that we are doing this in remembrance of Christ's greatest sacrifice. And in the act in which they were doing was the greatest act of self-indulgence. Feeding of their flesh. Let us be careful that when we make the sacrifice in our lives today. And when we take the bread and we drink the cup. Let it be said that we do it in full reverence and understanding and respect of what Christ did for us. You stand with me this morning. First Corinthians 11. Paul speaks of the eligibility to participate in the remembrance of Christ. His rebuke was that they were doing it unworthily. And unworthily was the context they were doing out of gluttony. They were doing it out of self-indulgence. They were doing it without any reverence of the sacrifice. Today, if you are a believer of Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ then you should take communion with us. There's no exclusion except to those who don't believe in it. If you don't believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, there's probably not a reason to do a remembrance of his death. But I believe all of us here today remember him. Remember what he has done for us. Communion not only a remembrance, but I believe there's the miracle of communion. Communion itself is not an act of salvation. Communion does not save us. Communion is a remembrance of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But during communion, there is the miracle. There is the miracle of forgiveness. If there's anything in your heart, your soul, your mind, maybe you could pray the prayer that David prayed. Search me, O God. Know me. Search me inside and out, God. Know the every secret corridors of my heart. Look inside of me, God, and make sure that I am pure and holy in your eyes. My flesh cannot be holy in itself, but your righteousness applied through the blood of Calvary is what makes us righteous. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.